right, good morning. How is everyone? And worship was uh, really sweet this morning, wasn't it? It was really good. I don't know about you, but um, you know, there's just some moments um, that are just sometimes more sweet, more powerful than others. And I, sometimes I think that's a, that's a personal thing. Um, it's good to see you this morning. I think my mic's on, right? All right. Um, so I told you last week that uh, we were going to be talking about uh, giving stewardship. Title of the message was uh, the principles of giving. And I shared last week that we I typically hit a message on that like once a year in January. Uh, well, I have a confession to make. Um, uh, uh, there's actually going to be three sermons on giving uh, today and next week. So um, today um, I had already planned out that we we're going to talk about the attitudes of giving. <clears throat> my, my throat has been really flaring up pretty bad this morning. And so um, in the first service, we only got through six points and uh, we ended the message. So uh, we're going to get to six points today. Next week, um, we will tackle point seven to twelve. And so um, I want to encourage you uh, to pull out your message notes. We're going to dive into God's word together. Um, this morning, we're going to find ourselves in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and, and chapter 9. So um, as, as a way of intro, as you're pulling out your notes and um, opening up your Bible to that passage, you know, generosity is displayed in one of three ways. And so generosity is demonstrated, it's expressed it's manifested in time, talents, and your tithe. Or you could say your generosity towards God and towards other people is expressed in and through your calendar, your abilities, skill sets, and your finances. You know, Jesus, who was the most generous person to ever walk on this planet, he said in Matthew, chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. He actually says the exact opposite, where your treasure is. So where, where you spend your time, how you use your spiritual gifts and abilities and skill sets and how you handle the, the money, the resources, how you disciple the wealth that God has put into your life, that's where your heart will be. Jesus is saying that your heart follows your treasure. Your heart follows the treasure of your, of your time, of your abilities, of your finances, your, your giving back to God. And so your heart is tied to your treasure. The heart follows the, the movement of your money. Jesus is saying where your treasure is, there your whole life will be. I want, to, I want you to identify the, the, the treasure in your life. What is, what is the top treasures of, of your life? When you discover what is most important to you, you will discover what you love the most. I mean, take for instance time. Time is one of the most valuable commodities, right, that a person can give. It's very precious. Once it's lost, it's forever gone, right? You can't get it back. Time is such an important commodity. I've met many people, they would rather cut a check than give their time, right? Um, another treasure is our talents. 
which is another source of radical generosity. When I say talents, I mean spiritual gifts, abilities, skill sets. God has wired you in such a way, he's given you these abilities and these, these spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. So the question this morning is, how are you using those spiritual gifts and those abilities and those skill sets? Where are you using those in the life of the church? The third treasure is tithe. We talked about this um, extensively last week. Simply means 10%, giving God the first 10% of all that you make. So if God has all three, if God has your time, if he has your talents, if he has your tithe, then I believe God has your heart. And I believe God has your life. You know, there's three ways you can look at your wealth. Number one, what's mine is mine. You know, that's a lot of people in our culture. They, they see their resources and wealth and blessings, all these things in their life, and they see it as it's, it's mine, right? Like a two-year-old little toddler, right? Mine. You don't have to teach a toddler to say mine. You don't have to teach a toddler to be selfish, right? So a lot of people, they live with clenched fists. This is mine. I'm not going to share it. I've worked hard for it. Mine, right? Very possessive, right? I worked for it. I earned it and it belongs to me. Another way of looking at your wealth is what's yours is mine. A lot of people in our culture, they, they, they covet, and it's kind of the mindset of you have what I want, so I'm gonna steal it, I'm gonna take it. But the Bible says that we should live differently. And the third one is what's mine is his, and I'm going to share it. The Bible is so clear about Stewardship, it's a really big theme in the Bible. Stewardship is really a countercultural way of, of seeing wealth as revealed by God in the page of Scripture. You know, last week we laid the foundation. The first point was, you know, everything belongs to God, right? Um, you know, every, everything belongs to God. It's a recognition that it all belongs to Him. And so that's, that's the foundation, right? Everything belongs to God. Everything we have in our life is on loan to us from God. He's the owner, we are simply stewards. Now I want you to imagine someone in your family, they die, and they leave a very large estate, and you find out that they made you the executor of the will. The will determines who gets what. Your job as the executor is to follow the instructions of the owner to distribute the estate. A steward is very similar to an executor. They're there to manage the estate. They're there to manage someone else's belongings. None of it belongs to them because it's not theirs. They're entrusted to give oversight, oversight of real estate, possessions, belongings that don't belong to them. Here, spiritually speaking, God has entrusted his resources to us. All of it belongs to him. Our job is to steward it well. So how do we do that? How do we steward God's resources and his blessings in our life? Well, we have to follow the instructions, just like the executor has to follow the instructions of the will to determine who's gonna get what and how everything's gonna be distributed. As a steward, we are stewarding God's blessings according to his word. I want you to keep in mind, stewardship is not ownership. I think a lot of Christians, they get this confused. They see everything that they have as mine. I'm the owner, I worked hard for it. 
You know, blood, sweat, tears, education, grinded it out, tenacity, man. You know, I'm the one who did this. No, it was God blessing you. It was God working in and through you. It was God's goodness in your life. And so today I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Paul is writing to a very dysfunctional church. <clears throat> the church at Corinth had a lot of problems. They probably had a lot of problems because I think they had a lot of new believers. It was a church that was a fairly new recent church plant. So there was um, a lot of sin uh, that was taking place and Paul was addressing very clear issues that needed to be dealt with. There was a litany of issues that Paul addressed head on in his letters with this young church. So the context of 2 Corinthians 8 9 is this. Paul is trying to raise money for poor Christians living in Jerusalem. And this is spelled out in verse four of the chapter. It was for the relief of the saints. Paul is gonna teach these young believers some very important lessons about giving by using the churches in Macedonia as the prime example. But what do we know about the churches of Macedonia? Well, the Macedonian believers were exemplary in their generosity. They were mentioned four times in the New Testament and, and every time they have high marks, right? Um, they're, they're an exemplary church. They, they model generosity. They have big hearts for people. I mean, big hearts for people that they've never met before. So here, here's what I want us to do. I want us to learn from the generosity of the churches of Macedonia. Here's point number one. Generous giving reveals the grace of God. Generous giving reveals the grace of God. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 8.1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So these Macedonian believers, they, they tasted the grace of God within their own lives. And, and because they encountered Christ and they tasted the, the grace of God, it propelled them towards radical generosity. God's grace flooded into their lives and the byproduct of that transforming grace was generosity. So what's the application for us? When you encounter Christ, when, when you taste and see that the Lord is good, when, you, when the, the grace of God floods into your life and God moves into your life, he permanently changes you. He changes you in every area of your life. It's a slow, sanctifying process. It's not, you know, overnight. You're not saved and boom, you're sanctified. No, you're maturing in your walk with Christ. The longer you walk with Christ, I think the longer you realize how, how much of a wicked sinner you really are. I mean, you see the progression in the Apostle Paul's life. I mean, really, at, towards the end of his life, he calls himself chief amongst sinners. So when you experience God's grace, this grace changes you. I think one of the areas where God's grace changes you is in the area of giving. God's grace moves in, and I think over time, selfishness and greed and materialism, having a vice grip on those things, you, you're, you're, you, God does a, 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 a work by the Spirit within your heart, and you begin to let go of the things of this world because your home is not here. Your home is hidden with Christ in the heavens. You know your eternal home is with the Father. And so your perspective on the things of this world begins to change. 
The grace of God floods into your life and you become a giver. So the question this morning is, have you experienced the grace of God? Have you, have you experienced his grace? Now you might say, well, Pastor Elijah, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me explain it this way. God, the creator of the universe, created everything from nothing. He spoke and everything came into being. I mean, the planets, the galaxies, the moon, the stars, the you know, earth, everything. There was nothing and God spoke and there was something and, and, and he created out of nothing everything and, and he spoke and mankind was formed, Adam and Eve, and they were placed in a perfect environment and they were told to adhere, not eat from this tree and God gave them complete authority but yet they doubted God's goodness. They doubted God's plan for their lives and we know the story. They, they ate, they sinned, they rebelled, they got banished out of the garden. And ever since that moment, God has been pursuing his people. God has been pursuing his creation and ultimately God sends the ultimate gift, the gift of a son as a rescue mission to seek and to save those who are lost. And we know that Christ came and he lived perfect life, sinless life, died on a cross, buried three days later, rose again from the grave. Christ came to bridge the gap between sinful humanity and a holy God. And Christ came so that if we place our faith, our trust in Christ as our savior, if we recognize that without God's grace, we are, we are completely lost and doomed, we, we are under condemnation, when we realize that reality and we embrace Christ for who he is and what he's done for us, God's grace changes us. God's grace saves us. Our sins are forgiven. Then God begins to work in our lives. Grace is something that is unearned, unmerited. When you come to faith in Christ, I believe over time you're going to want and desire and you're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. Christ was the greatest gift given ever. And as believers, we need to be modeling the, the heart of our father, that he has a big heart and he gives and he gives and he blesses. Here's point number two. Generous giving is not affected by external circumstances. I want you to notice in verse two what Paul is saying here. He goes on and he says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, did you catch what Paul said? Number one, these believers are experiencing a severe test of affliction. So there's, there's pressure, right? I mean, there's probably a lot of pressure on these new believers, right? To conform to culture, you know, and not, not to follow, you know, Jesus and, and, and become a, a, another believer of the way. Number two, they're extremely poor. We know that there was a Roman taxation, there was slavery, there was low economic status, there was persecution. If you were a believer, you were persecuted. I think that directly affected your finances. But instead of whining and complaining and grumbling, they were filled with an abundance of joy. In the midst of a severe, of severe affliction and extreme poverty, what did they have? They had joy. They were overflowing with joy. They had a surplus of joy. How can you be under so much pressure, be living in extreme poverty, and yet have an abundance of joy? I think the answer 
is found in verse 1. Joy is produced by the grace of God. When you encounter Christ, when you see him, you embrace him for who he is, and he comes into your life, God moves in. There's this change that takes place. And, 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 and part of that change is there's this newfound joy, this newfound joy that you didn't have before. There's this, this, radical, uh, it's this radical lifestyle. When you look at the Macedonians, they were afflicted yet joyous. You can live in extreme poverty and yet be overflowing in a wealth of generosity. Studies have shown that the more wealth someone has, the smaller percentage of their money actually goes to charity. Churches of Macedonia, they were the exact opposite. They were poor, but they gave more. Amen? I mean, think about it. They were poor, but they gave more. They didn't give less. I mean, let's play the comparison game. We are not living in poverty. I mean, we are, we are rich compared to the standards of the world, right? You know, me and my wife, we like to joke around with our kids. We got first world problems. That's what we have. Not third world problems, not wondering, you know, where we're going to get our next meal, shelter, you know, healthcare, whatever. No, we live in a great country with amazing freedoms, amazing privileges, I mean, amazing privileges. We're not facing poverty. Even people who are poor in the United States are rich compared to the rest of the world. I came across this years ago. Did you know that if you have a home, have one or two cars, any kind of retirement plan, you have more wealth than 98% of the world's population. You are in the top 2% of the richest people. Even those of us who claim to be relatively poor are in the top 10% of the richest people. We are filthy rich. We're filthy rich. And I think we live in such a blessed country. We've received all of these blessings. I, I think there's a tendency for some to just get comfortable. Hunker down, bunker down, enjoy the goodies, enjoy the good life, and don't get your hands dirty, right? Don't live with open hands. Don't, don't live a life of radical generosity. Here's the thing. Don't waste your life. God's given you one life to live, one life to invest, one life to be a blessing, one life to advance the kingdom and to spread the message of hope and the good news. And that's, that's what we do as believers. We, we want to be marked by radical generosity. You know, our world, our culture is marked with hoarding up and storing up and buying up and, you know, keeping a vice grip on all your possessions. And, and really it's about receiving, not giving. But Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So Look, look for your treasure, identify your treasure, and then you'll know where your heart's at. There's an amazing contrast between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Man, if, if, I, had, um, if I had the opportunity, I would, I would live in Israel, I'm telling you. I've been to Israel one time, we plan to go back, uh, we plan to take a group, we gotta take a group of like 16 so I could do all the teaching and we can get our own transportation, but we're gonna do it. In the next year or two, we're gonna take a group to Israel. I'm telling you, it is life-changing. You go there and everything that you had in your mind, everything that you saw on charts and graphs, yeah, pretty similar, but it, 
everything changes. I, 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 can't, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. It's the Holy Land. It's where Jesus walked. But when you go to Israel and you see the, the beautiful Sea of Galilee where Jesus called the disciples, where uh, the disciples went fishing, where Jesus performed so many miracles, and then, and then you know, the Sea of Galilee is, is beautiful. You can see from one end to the other. It's teeming with life. The same body of water that, that, that uh, like I said, Jesus called his disciples from. The water from the Sea of Galilee flows into the Jordan River and then it uh, flows into the Dead Sea and that's where it stays, simply waiting to evaporate because the Dead Sea has no outlet. That was another shocking thing to me, uh, the reality that you could go into the Dead Sea and you could actually float. It's incredible. The Dead Sea has no outlet. The Dead Sea is, is accurately named the Dead Sea because there's no life. It has tremendous mineral content, but there's no life to it. The reason it's dead is because it's always taking in, but it's never giving out. That's how it is with a lot of believers. They get, but they don't give. Material possessions are like water. You have to keep them moving or they will, or they will putrefy your lives. Standing water is dangerous. Flowing water is clean and beneficial and helpful and beautiful. Are you the Sea of Galilee? Are you taking in and giving out? Are you taking in and giving out? Is it beautiful? Listen, living a radical life of generosity is a beautiful thing. Because you live in such a way where, you know what, this is not mine, this belongs to you, God. And I'm stewarding, I'm entrusting your resources in my life for a limited amount of time. But if you choose to be the Dead Sea, you choose to take in and take in and take in. But if you refuse to give out, there's no life. There's no life, there's, there's no joy of, of giving. The impact that God can have on your heart when you give, listen, God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills themselves. God's rich. And, and God is going to accomplish his will with you or without you. He's a rich God. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart to be like his heart. That's the whole point of giving. All right, here's point number three. Generous giving is sacrificial. Generous giving is sacrificial. This is something that we see, it's, 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 a, it's a marker for the churches of Macedonia. Paul goes on, he says, for they gave according to their means. Well, uh, anybody remember their means? Not a lot of means, right? Extreme poverty, that's their means. And then he says, as I can testify, so I, listen, I saw it with my eyes, right? I heard about it, right? I can testify, I can give witness to this, and beyond their means, of their own accord. So their means was extreme poverty. They went beyond their means. I don't know how you can go beyond your extreme poverty in giving and being a blessing to other people, but they did. And then it says, of their own accord. There was no guilt motivation. There was no coercion. There was no compulsion. There was no pressure. There was no, no one externally like pushing them to give. It's a beautiful thing. They were giving of their own accord. They were living radical lives of their own accord. They were going beyond their means. It was their choice, their decision. They gave generously beyond their own ability. They took a risk and they sacrificed financially. You know, when I think of sacrificing financially, I think of the widow with the two coins. 
You know, and, and Jesus praised her. Why did he praise her? Because she gave all that she had. She gave all that she had. You know, when I think about the generosity of our church, it, it amazes me. Just the other day, I was talking to Candace about it, and I just told her, I said, I, I stand amazed at the generosity of our church. I stand amazed time and time and time again. From 2016 to 2023, we have challenged Summit Point Church family. We've challenged you to give towards remodeling projects, to remodel this campus, right? If, if, if you were not here uh, in the old worship center, I praise God that we, when I came in 2009, we, we had buildings, right? That's better than a church plant being in a school, right? But the AC, the AC never seemed to work. It was always hot in here. Hot in the summer, cold in the winter, right? And we, first world problems. People want to be cool. People want to be warm, right? And so we challenged our people, man, we've got to give. Forward with him we grow. We challenged our people to give. Project Next Gen, remodeling our kids' building, creating youth space. We, we challenged you again, just like two and a half years later. We, we challenged you. So in six or seven years, we don't have a very big church. In six or seven years, you have answered the call. You've been obedient to give radically, to give radically towards $3.4 million. That's a lot of money. $3.4 million is a lot of money. Now you say, well, Pastor Elijah, is it about buildings? No, buildings are just tools. It's about the mission. But we, we use buildings, we use tools to accomplish the mission. It's not about the brick and mortar. It's not about the carpet. It's not about the paint color. It's about people. It's not about booming budgets and you know, amazing programs. No, it's about the gospel. It's about the message. That's the mission of Summit Point Church. It is the good news. It is the gospel. It is that your life can be radically changed. And when you encounter the grace of God, you are compelled to give. That's what happens. And if, you're, and if there isn't a desire, a longing to want to give, then you should check your spiritual temperature to see where you're at. Because the churches of Macedonia, they, they gave out of extreme poverty. They gave sacrificially. I love the story of the church in Haiti that they were having a Thanksgiving festival and, and each Christian was invited to bring a love offering. And there was one envelope from a Haitian man named Edmund that held $13. That amount was three months income for a working man there. The people looked around for Edmund at the festival, but they could not find him. Later, someone met him in the village and questioned him. The person pressed him for an, for an explanation and, and found that Edmund had sold his house in order to give the $13 gift to God. But why hadn't he come to the festival? He hesitated and he didn't want to answer. Finally, Edmund said, I had no shirt to wear. Edmund understood what it means to give sacrificially. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. I can't tell you how many times people came to me and, and um, maybe not came to me, but I would hear about the sacrifices that, 
uh, people were making so that they can give towards a, a new worship center. They can give towards a Project Next Gen environment so we can reach more families and kids and teenagers with the gospel. and We can have a campus that we can be proud of. A campus where people can come and they feel welcomed and invited and, and they can be loved on and we love them with the love of Christ and they hear the good news of God's saving grace. I can't tell you the stories of people who gave up buying a home, down payment on a home. People that chose to give towards projects rather than remodeling their house, rather than buying a car, rather than going on a vacation. This is what the grace of God does in our lives. Instead of pursuing the things of this world which are so temporal and they're earthly and they're fleeting, we pursue the eternal. We pursue the spiritual. We pursue that which is going to outlast us someday. We invest not here. We invest in what's to come. We invest in the things that are eternal. That is the souls of people. We invest in, in, in discipleship, the, the spiritual growth of believers. So sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more or someone you love more. Here's point number four. Generous giving is marked with enthusiasm. It's marked with enthusiasm. Second Corinthians 8, 4 and 5. Paul, Paul says, begging us earnestly. They were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Circle the word begging on your notes. The word begging there is, it simply means to plead. They were pleading with Paul to give towards the offering. Now this word beg is the same word used in Luke 5 when a man who was marked with leprosy, he comes to Jesus and, and he says, Lord, and he falls on his face. It says he falls on his face and he begs Jesus. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The same word there for the, for the leprous begging for healing is the same word for the Macedonian saints begging to be a part of an offering. When's the last time you begged to be a part of an offering? Why, why is it quiet? Why is it quiet? Like this is a good thing. When, when something pops up, we should be like, you know, you, it's not like you're gonna just empty your bank account and give towards it, but if we all give a little, it creates a lot. We're gonna be taking high school students and young adults to Costa Rica in end of July, beginning of August. We're gonna be rolling this out really soon. We're gonna be challenging you, Summer Point Church family, to pull money out of your accounts and give so that we can send these students and young adults to Costa Rica. Why? So that they could spend five, six days sharing the gospel all day long with a translator and they're gonna, they're gonna lead people to faith in Christ. They're gonna see children, teenagers and adults come to faith in Christ. It's gonna be amazing. And then when we leave Costa Rica, the church there in Costa Rica, they're gonna take these new believers and they're gonna disciple them and they're gonna mature them in their faith. So when opportunities like this arise, hey, let, let's, let's go. This is an opportunity to give towards this, to be enthusiastic in our giving to say, you know what, I wanna be a part of that. Don't, don't leave me out. We, we don't wanna be left out of a party. 
a get-together, but we don't mind being left out of an offering. Like, that's crazy. There's no greater party than saying, you know what? Man, this is kingdom. This is, this, we're going to make, we're going we're gonna to light up the scoreboard in heaven. We're going to see people come to faith in Christ. I want to get in on this. I want some of this. By the way, we're going to need some female chaperones for that trip. So, you know, give your time. Give your treasure, right? We, we need some help down the road. There was, there was a church board that decided that people in the congregation were embarrassed when the offering plates were passed. So they thought they ought to have a new system that wouldn't embarrass anyone, especially those who couldn't give. They asked the pastor to design a new way of handling it so people could give at, at each door. But these boxes were different. If you dropped a dollar or more, it made no noise. It was silent. If you gave a half dollar, a little bell ringed. If you gave a quarter, it blew a whistle. If you gave a dime, a siren went off. If you gave a nickel, a shot sounded. If you gave nothing, it took your picture. Talk about a Kodak moment, right? So today on your way out, we're going to be taking photos when people get, okay, no, we're not going to do that. All right, point number five. Here we go. Generous giving is a spiritual priority. That's what it is. Did you know that giving is as much a spiritual discipline as Bible reading, fasting, prayer, journaling, all of these spiritual disciplines. And I, I could go on and mention a few more. But sometimes we don't connect giving to those things. How come? Giving is a spiritual discipline. It's a priority. Paul tells us in the passage, 2 Corinthians 8, 6, 6 to 8. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. I love that. I love that phrase. Living a generous, radical life of generosity, it's an act of grace, right? It's God's grace in your life. And then Paul goes on, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, and then here's, here's where he's getting ready to make it, make it point very clear. You're excelling in all these things. See that you excel in this act of grace also. See that you excel in giving also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Paul wants these believers at Corinth to excel in this grace of generosity, right? To make giving a spiritual priority of their life. He puts the act of giving on the same level as other Christian virtues. He gives us his list. Right? Excel in giving just like you excel in speech. This is a reference to doctrine and building up your life upon the word of truth. Um, excel in giving like you excel in knowledge, like you excel in, in earnestness, literally in your spiritual passion and fervor and love for the Lord. You're excelling in giving, excel in giving just like you excel in love. The word love there is agape love. It's this self-sacrificing love for other people. So as you're, as you're living out the gospel and you're loving other people and you're, you have a passion for the Lord and, and you're growing in the word, see that you excel. Paul is saying, see that you excel in this area also. I mean, if we were all, if we all had to take, 
If we all had to take a test this morning and we were given all these questions, do you want to excel in faith? Do you, know, you want to excel in Bible knowledge? We would say yes, yes, yes. Do you want to excel in giving and in generosity? Here's point number six. Generous giving is the heart of the gospel. This is what generous giving is. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake, or yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We looked at this briefly last week, and I'm just going to mention a few comments, and, and, then, and then we're wrapping it up, and then part three next week. Apologize, but I've been having some issues with my throat, so I land the plane first service. If I go to 12 points today with you, then I'm all messed up. I don't know what I'm going to do for first service next week. So um, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is basically giving us the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus was rich. Before the incarnation, he was in heaven with his Father, with the Holy Spirit. Trinitarian community, Trinitarian intimacy, communion. And then Christ took upon flesh. He, he, he came through a, a, a birth canal. He was born to a virgin teenage peasant girl. The, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who was the agent of creation, everything was made by him and through him and for him, came into our world and came through a birth canal. And he was born to a virgin. And he was adopted by Joseph, his earthly father. He became poor, incarnation. He took upon flesh so that by his poverty, by his incarnation and his sinless life, we might become rich. We might become rich in faith towards God. You know, we don't have time to look at it, but the parable of the rich fool, and, and he's very successful. His business is booming, and he's building barns, and he's hoarding all this stuff up. And he's just like, man, what am I going to do with all this stuff? And I mean, he's just hoarding up and hoarding up. And, and Jesus has basically made the point like, you know what? He's a fool. He's a fool to just hoard up. But he's not rich towards God in faith. As believers, because of the incarnation, because of the costly death of Christ and his precious blood that was spilled for us, we might become rich through him. The radical generosity of Jesus, Jesus who left heaven and he came as the hero of heaven, the champion of grace, the sinless savior, the one who can bridge the gap between fallen humanity and a, and a loving, holy, awesome God. Because of the gift of Jesus, we can be forgiven today. So here's my challenge. How can we trust God with our salvation? How can we trust God with our eternity, but not trust God with our finances? It's so backwards. It's so backwards. I don't even understand that. Jesus, here's all my sin. I'm trusting you for salvation. I'm, I'm begging heaven on, on your sacrifice and your sacrifice alone. But Jesus, 
you ain't touching my money. That just doesn't make sense. We have tasted, experienced the grace of God. And it's transformed our lives. It's changed us. It changes who we are as people, and it changes our eternal destiny. If we trust God with the future, we got to trust God with the present. If we trust God with, with uh, that which is beyond the grave, we should trust God with everything that's leading up to the grave. Why do we not want to trust God with these things? I don't know. God says, trust me. God says, be like the churches of Macedonia. Right? Be like them. Model them. Their faith, their trust, their joy, and display the heart of the gospel. So next week, part three, point seven to 12, we're going to come back to it. And then we're done with giving. But let me just say this real quick. Last week, I gave that challenge. I didn't mention it in the first service, but I gave the challenge last week about, you know, maybe if, if you've never trusted God with your finances, and I challenge you to, to, to start tithing, right? And um, there were three cards that came in. A lot of cards came in that said continue, praise God. We have a very generous church, but there were three cards that got turned in that said start. And I took those three cards and by the way, two of the three cards, one was a teenager, one was a very young adult, and the third card I think was an adult. Two-thirds of the cards turned in young people, teenagers, young adults, man. And I took those cards and I went to my office and I prayed for those three by name. And I asked God to bless their life, to give them Faith, not fear, to trust him. Because I believe it's one of the greatest decisions you'll ever make in your life because it makes you more like Jesus. Let's pray.